tonight. Well, Psalm 128 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible there with you, I'd love for you to turn with me. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture, but mostly just right here in Psalm 128. But I want to ask you this question. I, I mean, I would argue that one of the main things that most people uh, who have ever lived, currently live, every human being is in search of happiness. I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think people just go around, man, I, I just don't want to be happy. I know you've run into plenty of those people. <laughs> There's plenty of people, you walk, and you walk on the streets, or you go to work, and you might be that person yourself. You go to work, and you're like, I'm very unhappy today. It's, a, it's about to be Monday, and you're like, no, I don't want to go on Monday I'm to work. And so, but, but listen, almost every single person who's ever lived is, is in a, some kind of pursuit for happiness. I think all of us, right, are, are, we're in a pursuit to, to have a fulfilled content, peaceful life. I think, I think that's all of us. I look at my life, and I, I, I want to order things in my life that will help make my life easier. I think all of us, we want to, you know, like, and that's why it's really cool. Technology is meant to help our lives be easier and less complicated, but what's the reality of that? It obviously brings more complexities, more problems, more issues, I think of a phone, right? We have a cell phone, and you have a cell phone in your hand. That thing can be such a distraction over the everyday's life. Or it's like, you know, you're trying to have a, a really great date. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're on a date, and you're going to be focused. You're, only, you're getting your full and undivided attention to your, to your loved one or this person that you're hoping that will love you <laughs> if you're on a date. And you're in front of this person, and then all of a sudden there's these dings, and you see these vibrating, vibrations, or these, even these phony ones. You ever felt those? It's like your phone isn't even on you, but yet you felt your leg vibrate or something. You thought it was there. Um, and so what is it doing? It's distracting you. And maybe like all of a sudden that undivided attention in that moment turns to like, oh man, I wonder if that's my boss emailing me again or if that's a, a person that's needing me. And so we want to grab our phone. My wife sent me something last night. Um, I, I think she was sending it to me to like tell me something is my guess. She hasn't talked about it yet, but, um, but she sent it to me and it was like this guy giving like a TED talk and he was talking about how like there's a difference when you're communicating holding a phone. So he's like, if, if you stood up here and you're holding your phone and you're talking and you're trying to tell people something, you're not showing them that they're the most important thing in your life at that moment. You have this in your hand. And he said, what if you put that in your pocket and then you're talking to someone like this and you're looking at them with both hands, both eyes, fully focused on them. And I'm like, are you trying to tell me that I might maybe do that? She probably is, I think, I'm guessing. And, but I think that's all of us, right? We live this life of distractions, but ultimately what we're hoping is gonna, this, this life, whether it's having things, having stuff, having a family, having a, a loved one to share life with, all of those things are, are to bring, and our hopes are, it will bring us satisfaction and happiness. Scripture, though, talks about happiness a lot. It's just a word we don't normally take as happiness if you've read your Bible before. Something that has been standing out to me, some of the guys are, have been reading through Genesis, and I've been reading th through Genesis with a lot of you, and something I keep commenting on is over and over seeing this word blessed, over and over again when it comes through all these different patriarchs. When you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, when you see um, Lot even, and all that story over and over again, you see the blessing of God on people. And we have this, this unique, really this unique word in Scripture called blessed and blessed. And in that word, there's, it's a rich, full word that can mean so much more than just, maybe for some of you, you're just like, you're like I don't know, it's just something I pray every once in a while. God bless me. And you're like, I don't even know what I'm actually saying when I say that to God. I'm like, bless, 
whatever that means. But usually I think in most of our minds we're thinking it'll bring God's grace, it'll bring his, his peace, and it will bring joy and contentment. And really when we use that word, that's what it's really meaning. It's this fullness of God's overflowing of blessing or contentment and peace and grace and goodness into our lives. And this psalm that we're looking at today is all about God's blessing. And so if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to read it, whether it's on a device that will be very distracting to you potentially. But, um, but if you have a Bible, that's why I would encourage you to bring a, even a paper. Uh, I know it's like old school or something, but it's less distracting. Um, but Psalm 128, but if that's what you have, that's what you have. So Psalm 128 says this. Listen to this psalm. It's a psalm that we don't know, and really, well, before I read it, actually, let me just preface really quickly. We're in the middle of a series on the Song of Ascents. We're looking at a section of Scripture in the Psalms that were called the Song of Ascents, and these were sung by these pilgrims. If you've been with us long enough, you probably already could tell this part of this, the message for me, uh, but basically it's these pilgrims. They would, these followers of, of God, these Israelites, the Israelites would go annually, about three times a year, annually to Jerusalem. And on their journey, this was like their playlist of songs that they would sing on, on their journey, on their way up, and the picture is up towards Jerusalem and to Mount, specifically Mount Zion, the, the dwelling place of God where the temple was. And so they were going on their journey, and they would be singing these songs to one another as they go. And this is the psalm and this song of ascent that we get today. And listen to what it says. It says this, blessed, there's our word, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. In verse 2, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Verse 5 and 6, the Lord bless you. It turns to a prayer. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. You see, this is a song of a sense, and it's written, and it's sung collectively as the people of God are on their journey, and they're, and they're saying this to one another. And I want, I, I want to keep emphasizing this in this, this point in this series. This isn't in your notes or anything like that, but I, w- I want to keep emphasizing this aspect because I think this is what's so important for us as we gather together. When we gather together on a Sunday morning, we sing songs to God directly. We're directing them to God. It's worship. But as you sing, you're, you can encourage the person right next to you, the person in front of you. You can encourage the person collectively. We collectively encourage one another through the singing of songs. There's a reason we sing. We don't sing it just to be like, all right, well, we've got an hour to fill. Let's see. Let's put a few songs here. Let's do a little thing here. Let's put a video up, and then we'll, sing, we'll have a message, and then we'll, we'll go about our day. So we have a good order of service. No, we sing these songs for a purpose. We do it as an as a, as a offering. It's a sacrificial offering to the Lord of our worship to Him as He is great. And we sing about this, these kind of songs. Man, I'm praying like we're, we're singing. We just sing one, Psalm 130. We're telling ourselves, we're reminding ourselves if, like even in verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? I mean, we're encouraging one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts as to the Lord. But we do that in front of each other, together, not for show, but to encourage and equip and to challenge and to shape our weak 
ahead. I can't emphasize that enough in this series, the idea that they would sing these songs on their journey to, one and, to God, but collectively together, communicating back and forth. But in this psalm specifically, we see this word blessed, and it starts there. It starts and ultimately comes to its fullness throughout the psalm. It's mentioned multiple times. It used two different Hebrew words for blessed. But when we think about this word, what does it really mean? Even if the opening of Psalms, right, the book of Psalms, like the Psalter, Psalm 1, do you remember what Psalm 1 says? Do you remember? I actually talked about this on a Thursday just recently. The idea of blessed is the person who does not walk in the way of sinners or stand in the seat of scoffers. You know, like this idea or, 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 and sit and, and this idea of this person is blessed and the description of this person of who's blessed, he transitions. So he's like, they don't do these things. They're not, they're not living in sin and this downward spiral of sin, but no, they're actually what? He says they're planted by streams of water. The idea is they're refreshed, they're full, they experience joy, they experience what exactly what they need. That's the blessing that we see. Remember God's, God's very first on earth, Jesus, his very first sermon. Do you remember? It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember how it starts? Blessed. It's, it's the Beatitudes. You probably heard it that way, the Beatitudes. But isn't it interesting, some of the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. I mean, that one kind of makes sense. All right, all right, he's going to bring blessing on the person who's pure and has a, a pure heart. But it says this, blessed are those who mourn. Like, like mourning and blessing seems like an oxymoron. Like, why would they go together? Or blessed are the meek. I mean, doesn't, again, that doesn't seem right. And he says, blessed are the merciful. And over and over again, he mentions, these are the people who are blessed over and over again. And even in there. And here in Psalm 128, he says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. First thing I want you to know, you know, this isn't in your notes as well, but first thing is this, I want you to catch is this. B- God's blessing is available to everyone. Like, every person has the availability to receive God's blessing. But specifically, though, this psalm in verse 1 gives us the path to um, this, this blessing from God, the path to God's blessing. And this is in your notes. So this is our, our first point is this, is God brings us, in this passage brings us to what is the path to God's blessing? And notice what he says. Blessed is everyone who does what? What does it say? You can say it out loud. It's fine. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Like again, that's a, another word that maybe we can kind of comprehend a little bit of fear. I don't know about you. There's certain things that I fear in life. Um, specifically, there's snakes. <laughs> I can't stand snakes. We just, my, my boys and I, we just recently watched a movie called Bad Guys. I know I'm at that age now. My kids are older, and so I like cartoon movies too. Um, and so this is a cartoon movie on these bad guys, and it was like a snake, a shark, a wolf. It was all the bad guys, and it was like everyone's perception of the bad guys. Everyone's terrified, and then the opening scene of it is this wolf and this snake, and they're hanging out in a diner. And I know you're like, Eric, where are you going with this? Like, you're talking about a snake and a wolf in a diner sharing a meal, and he's in a suit. But anyways, just watch the movie sometime. And they're sitting there, and, and then it's like they're just having this conversation. It's kind of zoomed in on them. It's kind of funny. And then as they're walking out, then all of a sudden in the diner, you see, like, people just terrified in the corners. And they're, like, absolutely terrified of them. And, and then here they walk out, and everyone freaks out, and then ends up being these bad guys. And they're, like, they're super sad that everyone thinks that they're a bad guy, and they want to be a good guy. And so they try to pursue the good. 
But I, when we think about fears, I, I can be over, we can maybe be overwhelmed with fear. Maybe you have a fear of death. Maybe you have a fear of uh, a tragedy or fear of health issues. And so you, don't, you avoid certain things there. You, don't, you kind of block it out. We have different, when we think of fear, often we think of it as, as a bad thing. But fear obviously is a good thing. There's certain fears that are healthy. Like, like I don't jump out of a boat in, at the edge of, of South Africa and let's go swim with great white sharks. Like I'm, I have a good healthy fear of sharks in that way. Now, like, is it unhealthy that you're never going to touch your toes in the ocean and enjoy the feeling of the waves? Okay, that might be a little too much. Don't worry about the sand shark eating your, eating your toes or something, right? But the idea is that there's a healthy fear. And I love what Tim Keller, and there's a really, really good quote on this from him. And he's, it's in a, good, a really encouraging book, I would say, for those of you that are married. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. And in that book, he said this, talking about the fear of the Lord. He said, obviously, to be in the fear of the Lord is not to be just scared of the Lord. Like, we're to walk around terrified of him. Like, like I'm just to live my life terrified of God. Like, okay, when's the lightning bolt going to strike again? which leads me to another fear of mine too, (laughs) lightning. Um, But he says this, even though the Hebrew word has overtones of respect and awe, he says this, fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed, to be controlled by something. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with the wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It means that because of his bright holiness and magnificent love, you find him fearfully beautiful. That is why the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience a trembling awe and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and has done for us. Fearing him means bowing before him out of amazement at his glory and beauty. I want to ask you, have you been blown away by him? Does his power and his grandness and his grandeur, do, do you, are you amazed by that? When's the last time your thoughts of God has led you to just wonder and amazement. You know, when you look to the skies and you see, like if you've ever experienced a really dark sky and you can just see the vast stars in the universe, has it, already, has it just kind of like, that's pretty cool. Like, oh, look at the moon, that's neat. Or has, it, has there been a moment or maybe it's going to a beach and you see the waves and they just continually roll in and you're like, why did God give us these waves that are so beautiful, the sound of the ocean? when you get to experience that, or when you go into the mountains and you see the vast, huge mountains, does that lead you to amazement and wonder of God? In Exodus 14, I want you to turn here, Exodus 14, famous story, probably many of you know this story. In Exodus 14, uh, it's the parting of the Red Sea, and I'm not going to read the whole story here or anything like that, but in, in, in Exodus 14, the people of God have been delivered from captivity. They have, they have been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, about 700 years. They've been slaves in Egypt, and they've, their, their people have grown to over a million people. They're, they're vast, and they're a huge, uh, a very much a blessing to the, the Egyptians. They're building things, and they're helping them move and get all these things done because they're slaves, but they're slaves, and God has made a promise to Abraham that I'm going to make a nation of you. I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to have a land for you, and the people are like, we're not in that land, and they're wondering, is God real? And they cry out to God, and God hears their cry, and he sends a man named Moses, and Moses goes and he tells Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. Over and over again, the Pharaoh would be like, okay, sure. And then he changes his mind. Sure, changes his mind. Sure, changes his mind. And then there was the last, uh, what we called are the plagues, the ten plagues. And this one, when it was the firstborn child of all those who did not listen to God's instruction of, of how he would pass over uh, their home, um, those all lost their, 
firstborn. And Pharaoh, sure enough, lost his. And he's in anger and says, fine, leave all of you. And they go. And they're like, freedom. Finally, they're on their journey. And then they come to a river. And they're standing in front of this, this river. And it's a vast body of water. And they're like, we can't cross this. And then now, all of a sudden, they start seeing Egypt, they've changed their mind. They're coming after us and they're freaking out. And God parts the Red Sea and they cross on, it tells us, on dry land. And they get across that water. They get all the way over. And then what happens? The, the army of Egypt is in now in the middle of that huge sea. And what happens? God stops the walls of that water and it comes crashing on all of his army. And all of his army's dead. Like, I know, we, like, if the kids aren't in here, like, if we're telling this kid story, we're not like, hey, let me tell you the rest of the story. And so then all of a sudden, some bodies start rolling up on the shore, and here's some dead people all over. It's a huge army. But that's what you see at the end of 14. I want you to look at verse 31. So, or verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel. This is Exodus 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Notice verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people, notice next words, feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They feared the Lord. Yes, they're seeing dead bodies everywhere, and they just saw the Lord part, not Moses part the Red Sea. They saw God part the Red Sea for them, and they crossed over on dry land, and they get across, and then they see the power of God and him dropping all that water on top of the enemy, the army of the Egyptians, and it destroys all of them, and they get on the other side, and there's that aspect of fear of like, oh my word, like that's just what happens when you don't follow God. And thankfully, it led them, though, to the very first song that we have recorded in Scripture, and that's in, song, in Exodus 15. It's the Song of Moses. And Moses, it, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, and the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Notice verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. I have this, that, that verse uh, in our living room on a big wall that Amanda, uh, on a big picture that Amanda had made years ago. Here, it led them to song. Notice the fear of God. Not a, not a like, I'm terrified. Oh no, we better make sure he's happy like most people would treat their gods. They would be like, all right, we gotta keep our God happy so he'll fight for us, that we can win victory. No, the, the fear of the Lord here is about relationship. It's about relationship. And this is in your notes here as well when we, we talk about this aspect of what are the steps or what's the path to a blessed life. It starts with this fear of the Lord, but what he's referring to in the fear of the Lord is this. It's, the, it's that it begins with a right relationship with God. It's a healthy view of God. Now, I don't know about you. I, I mean, some of you maybe had terrible parents and they mistreated you and abused you potentially. I had a healthy view of my dad. He had, he had a nice belt and it was big and I was terrified of it, true. But I also understood my dad loved me immensely. He didn't communicate it all the time, but I watched it with his actions. I watched it with the way he talked about me to even others, the way he interacted with me, the way he gave me time. I had a, a, a respect for my dad that led me to be a pretty, pretty obnoxious person when I was younger, but it, as God was changing my heart and shaping me, it shaped how my view of my dad was. That I wasn't like terrified, oh no, I don't want to upset my dad because he may beat me like some dads sadly have done. 
No, I understood that my dad loved me and he was going to discipline me. He was going to chase after my heart. And so I respected him. I feared him in, in a healthy respect and, and wonder. And here the people of Israel, they see the devastating aspect of God, but they also saw the provision of God in that moment. He had provided a path for them to get across. He was leading them. He was rescuing them. And they're saying, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So if you, listen, if we want to experience blessings from God, it starts with the right relationship with him. And that's a question, right? That's a question that is, how's your relationship with the Lord? Are you in right standing with the Holy One of Heaven? Are you trusting in Him? We see that here. It tells us even in verse 31, again in, in Exodus 15, Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. They were putting their faith in God, the rescuer, and the strong tower, and the, the provider for them. You see, if you want to experience God's blessing, it starts. The steps are simple. It's in Psalm 128. The first step is a right relationship with God, a fear of the Lord. But the second step, and this is important, it's a step, and it doesn't come before the first, is this. It continues through obedience to His Word. It continues through obedience to his word. Look back at Psalm 128 again. So back to our text again. In Psalm 128, he says this. The psalmist says, blessed is everyone. Again, it's, it's available to all. Who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The idea of walking in his ways. Ultimately, God was going to take his people, and he's going to take his man, this man Moses, who is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. He's going to take them to Mount Sinai. And up, or when they get to the mountain, they're going to meet with God, or Moses is going to meet with God, and God is going to give him uh, the Ten Commandments. And he's going to give them these commands, not to be like, hey, good luck keeping them, or like, hey, I know I want to make it really hard for you, so I'm going to tell you some things that you want to do, but you're not going to be able to do. So here's my commands to you. No, God gives them these commands. Ultimately, the scriptures tell us in the New Testament to show us our need of a Savior, that we can't on our own keep these commands. You see, but here's our problem, and this is why I said this about steps. Often, over and over again, we continue to think that through my obedience, God will accept me. That if I'm obedient to God, if I, if, I, if I do the right thing, if I obey his word, if I do the right thing, God will then accept me and now he will bless me. No, it comes, the first step has to come first, a healthy fear of the Lord. It comes with right relationship with him. You can't earn the relationship. That's the beauty of grace. The grace is a gift of God. God says, I choose you. I love you. I, you, you can only love me because I first love you, First John tells us. Over and over again, we, though, miss this. And we try to earn God's love, and we try to get his acceptance. And, like, hey, God, like, I, I want your blessing on my life. Will you bless my marriage? It's in turmoil. It's in a mess. It's, it's in a little bit of an issue. My kids are, are frustrating me, and they're not doing what I thought they would do. And I'm not, I'm not even a good parent anymore. And, like, all of a sudden, everything in life is falling apart. And you're like, God, but I'm trying. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. You can't earn it. You see, we over and over again, we flip these two things. We flip it and we turn continuing to try to be obedient, to obey God's word in hopes that God will bless. You see, God's blessing comes to the person who's that way, but it's through right relationship with him. It's through that relationship with God that it starts. 
It starts with your relationship with God, and then it continues, God's blessing continues through our walking in His ways. And quickly, look at the benefits. The benefits, this is your notes, the benefits of God's blessing. And I'm going to walk through these kind of quickly. This is part of the psalm here. He says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You want to experience God's blessing? Have right relationship with the Lord and continue to um, uh, be obedient to his words. But notice what he says next. Look at the blessing that comes from the Lord. He says this. Here's the blessing. You shall, verse 2, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. So first, the benefit of God's blessing is in your work. And not just literally for those of you that work, whether that is anything with your hands, whether that is like you're as a student right now and you're, you have midterm exams, you have exams or different things, or whether it's in your actual workplace or it's in the home and you're caring in the home. He says, it will be well with you, it will be blessed. God is going to bless your work. But isn't it interesting though, if we go back to last week's message, what the psalmist said, Look at verse 2 of Psalm 127. You should be right there. So Psalm 127 verse 2 says this, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So wait, wait, if God's going to bless my work, then like why does he say it's in vain that you rise up early? Like, I mean, like listen, I'm trying to, I mean, God bless, doesn't bless laziness. That's, that's a true principle we see throughout Scripture. God doesn't just go bless our laziness. Like, all right, you go sleep around, you go do different things, you're not living uh, a life for the Lord, or you're not putting in any effort. God doesn't bring blessing on that. But ultimately, though, he brings blessing on, notice this, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Why? Because it goes back to the first part of the main point of last week's message. Unless the Lord is in it, all that you do is in vain. You want to receive God's blessing and the benefits of God's blessing? He benefits and he wants to bless your work. And he says, listen, if you have a right relationship with me and you're being obedient to my, and walking in my ways, listen, as you go and do your work, I'm going to bring blessing on that. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring, literally, he's even saying like physical blessing, not just a spiritual blessing here. And you might be going like, wait a minute, like I've been doing these things. I feel like I'm doing all these things and I feel like, man, everything in my life has been difficult. Everything in my life has come hard. What, what then? What, does that mean God is blessing or he's not blessing? Listen, we don't underst- fully understand God's ways. But as, again, the Egyptians did in their fear of the Lord, their right relationship with the Lord, they believed, they trusted that God always knows what's best. But I, wanna, I don't want to minimize this because I think ten, we can tend to be like, hey, wait, wait, but, I'm, but are you really is the question. Are you really in right relationship with the Lord? Are you really walking in his ways? You might be like, but I, I, I mean, maybe, I think, sort of, I'm not sure. Well, are you, are you re- in relationship with God? Do you commune with Him? Do you fellowship with the Lord? Do you spend time in His Word? Because, I mean, even it tells us that blessed in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Has a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Do you hunger for righteousness? You want to experience God's blessing in your work? He's telling us the steps to that. Notice the next benefit of our blessing. He says, it's also in your marriage. He says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your ch- and, and, and even in this word, yes, it does have some connotation of, of um, fruitfulness in the womb, of bearing children. But it's even beyond that in the text. It's even, we see that in Proverbs. 
uh, the fruit of relationship, of intimacy and closeness in a relationship, the joy in a relationship. But I, I would argue, though, if we looked at and we peered in, if we had to just to peer into each of our relationships, sadly, in a lot of homes, there's, there's not much contentment. There's not much joy. There's actually constant frustration and arguments and shouting and disappointments and anger even. Why is it? Why isn't the, the blessedness on the marriage there if, if someone is trying to walk in his ways? Again, I would argue, go back to steps one and two. <laughs> go back to there again. Are you really in right relationship with the Lord? Are you walking in his ways? Maybe there's, maybe there's sin in our lives that's keeping us from the fruitful blessing of God in our marriage and then he continues and he says, even your children will be like olive shoots around your table. He's saying, listen, here's the benefit of your blessing, of God's blessing. It's in your work. It's in your marriage. It's in your children. I'm going to bless you, not with just children, but with like these olive shoots around your table gathered together. I don't know. I, I remember um, I've watched a few different TV shows and different things. And, and you see the ones where it's like, there's, like here's this guy basically sitting at the table by himself. And because there's been constant frustration in the family and everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And here he is sitting, his, sitting, eating his meal all by himself at the table, missing the blessing of relationship at the table. There's something special about that time. And that, listen, for those of you that have, have lived longer and watched as your kids have left the table and how it kind of is a little bit sad, there's that grief of, and that and that. Um, sense of loss in losing those relationships around the table. Here he's saying, I'm going to bless you with children to surround your table. And these children are like olive shoots. They're coming from you, your family, and they're a blessing to you. Children are a heritage of the Lord, we saw in chapter 127. God says, I'm going to bring blessing in your family's life. But again, you might be saying, but like my, my family's a disaster. Like, there is just frustration, constant arguments. Like, we cannot stop arguing. We're never, I mean, I'm not even happy anymore. Maybe there's just lack of contentment. Here's one of the great truths of Scripture, is this. The gospel redeems these aspects of our lives. Maybe there is an issue with work, and you're just constantly frustrated in your work life. You're constantly frustrated by how things are going in your marriage and your family. The point is this, God wants to heal broken relationships. He wants to heal your marriage or your children's and your interaction as a parent or uh, in your work relationships, your, your relationships in general around your life, your friends and, and different ones that have maybe been disconnected. The gospel redeems these aspects of our lives. God wants to heal them. In Christ, it tells us this in Ephesians 1.3. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Here's the question I want to challenge you with or, or state is this. is Let's keep asking for God's blessing here. God, ask for God's blessing in your home. Ask for God's blessing in your work. This is what we see next, and this is our, really our last point as we walk through this passage. We now see, we've been seeing the benefits of God's blessing. And finally here, as we're looking at this blessed life, we see a prayer for God's blessing. And the psalmist transitions and he says this. He says in verse 5, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Notice this. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. 
You see, the psalmist is saying, okay, God, we have experienced your blessing and we want more. It's the idea of always wanting more of God's blessing, not to be like, hey, God, can you bless me so I can have nice things? You see, that's the world's view on how you can have a happy and fulfilled life. Have more things. Have more, more relationships. Maybe that'll make it full. Or, or, or put, surround yourself with good friends and, and surround yourself with all these things, and, and then you'll experience happiness. But why do we see celebrities and different ones who seem like they have it all? Their life is a, a terrible disaster. They seem so unfulfilled. Why do you see so many athletes um, and, uh, and celebrities take their own lives. Why? I mean, most people are like, man, I want that life. I want the celebrity life. I, w- I wish I had all of that kind of money, or I wish I had that kind of fame where people looked at me with such awe and almost treat me like a god. Like, I think most people are like, wait, why wouldn't I want that? And you're like, when you have it, though, it's because your heart wasn't ever meant to be fulfilled in those things. I think it's Pascal that says that we have this God-sized void in each of our lives. We're born with it. You're born with this. You come into this world with this God-sized void, and we try to fill that void with, with things. Like a new iPhone, another relationship. Well, that relationship didn't work out, so let's get rid of that one and let's get a new one. Or we want this kind of work, but that work wasn't fulfilling, so I'm going to pursue something else. And we're trying to just make ourselves happy because everyone is pursuing happiness, and we're trying to fill it, and we're filling it, and it just is empty, and you're like, man, I thought it would make me happy, and it did maybe for a season. Maybe it does for a long season, maybe for a career of your life, but then you get towards the end of your life, and so many people, this is true. I still remember, this is one of the most remarkable statements that has stuck with me since I was about 18 years old, um, was in John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. In that book, and he was sharing it from a sermon, he was saying that he was sitting on the front row, and his dad was preaching. He grew up a preacher's kid, and he's sitting on the front row, and his dad's preaching this message. He shares the gospel. He has an invitation. He's sitting on the front row, and, his, and as he's there, this older gentleman comes forward, walks down the aisle, kneels down, and he's like, I could hear him just like basically praying and, and almost shouting to the, to the Lord. And he, he was saying this phrase, I've wasted it. He kept saying, I've wasted it. I've wasted my life. He's sitting here, he's 80 years old. He hears the gospel, he's responding to it. He wants to, he wants to give his life to the Lord. But then he started thinking about my whole life behind me. And he's like, I've wasted all of it. My, 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 all these things I pursued, I thought they would bring me happiness and contentment and joy, and they didn't, and I've, and I've wasted my life. And he's, he's saying, I was sitting on that front row hearing this, and it just it put an imprint on his life and it put an imprint on mine. Listen, we will wait, I promise you, you will waste your whole life. Even if you say, man, my life was good, it's sweet, and you die one day. I mean, I can tell you a per, an illustration of this, of someone we know that lives uh, near uh, someone in our church. This man had what you would say would have had it all. He had the career, he had the status, he, has a, he had a nice house, he had all these things. But you know, ultimately, when he died, not too long ago, there was hardly anyone around him. His kids, his family, no one. That's tragic. You'd think, oh man, but he had it all. He was CEO of a large company. He has great things and all this stuff. Why? Because that's not how you experience the blessing of God. You can't get, you can, might can find joy from the world's perspective, but you will not experience God's blessing apart from him. Jesus tells us he wants to give us my joy. He says, my joy, I want to give you. 
uh, the psalmist says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, where's the joy? The joy is in the Lord. He is the object of our joy, and he's the giver of the joy. And so that's why the psalmist is praying it. He's like, the Lord bless you. He's praying, he's, he's, it's a, it's a, um, He's trying to pronounce a blessing on the people of God. He's saying, the Lord bless you from Zion. It's the sanctuary of the Lord. It's the, like, almost like the embassy. Uh, it's like heaven is his throne, right? Like wherever God is is ultimately where his, he is and where his, his throne dwells. And he is there, but yet he's given us like that, almost like an embassy or an, as ambassadors. And it's kind of like, here's my embassy. Here's where I pronounce judgment. Here's where I'm, I'm to be worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem. But it's not like his actual home. God doesn't need to dwell in a house, as Scripture tells us. He doesn't dwell in, in, in these kind of things. But here's where it comes from. It comes, and the psalmist is saying, I know it comes from the Lord. And he's saying, the Lord bless you from Zion. And he said, may you see prosperity. And he, ultimately, his, pray, his, his prayer is that you would live a long and fulfilled life and see your children's children from generation to generation sitting around your table, as we saw with children, And then he tells, look back at verse 4. I kind of skipped this. He says in verse 4, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And I know you might be thinking, well, this passage kind of comes across like very male dominant. And a lot of, actually a lot of scripture comes across that way. Partly um, as a patriarchal society, but also too, I think there's actually a lesson here too though. I've been in church really my whole life. I've been in, in, in church ministry for about 15 years or so. You know, you know what I rarely ever see is a man who has a family, who's married and has kids, who comes and his wife isn't with him or his kids aren't with him. You know what we often see, though? Is women who come with their kids but not their husbands. I think there's something to notice there, that if the man's here, the family comes too. So many times. And here he's saying it starts, and ultimately from a leadership perspective, it starts from the men in this room, the men in your homes, and leading your families. And he says, blessed is, he says this, the blessed, he says, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And he's talking in those terms, even when he goes before, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, you shall be blessed. Your wife, he says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Listen, the responsibility is serious for you men in this room. Listen, your leadership is needed in your home. Don't just, don't just be satisfied to sit back and watch your wife lead in the home. You lead out in the home. I promise you, you look at our society, and what happens is, as the family goes, so does the society go, over and over again. You look in our inner cities, you look in, in our suburbs, it doesn't matter where you look, you look everywhere. What happens with so many people who are incarcerated? Guess what? Almost all of, almost, I mean, it's like 60 plus percent of those incarcerated, their, their dad was not in the picture. It's crazy. Over and over, over and over again, the call, and that, that I think that's important to see in Scripture over and over again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Man, are we, are we experiencing, you want to experience God's blessing? It goes God's way. Healthy fear of the Lord and walking in his ways. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again for Scripture. We thank you for uh, your word. It is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, you also say in the Psalms, God, you say, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Father, help us to be a people 
who love and hunger and thirst for your word. I think all of us, we want to experience your blessing because if we know that your goodness and grace come from you and the good things that we can experience in life come from you, we want to experience them, but we want to do it our way, on our terms. Father, forgive us for trying to do these things on our terms. Father, forgive us for trying to even pursue, even try to pursue your love and to, and to get your acceptance. God, help us to see that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing because of what Christ has done. We can experience your blessing just because of what he did, not even really what, because of what we've done. Help us to put our faith in Christ alone. God, I thank you so much that you are so incredibly good to us. Thank you that you pursue us, that you haven't given up on us, and you want to bless your people so, Father, help us to, to follow the steps so that we can experience the benefits of your blessing. And ultimately, the greatest benefit is being known by you and in relationship with you. So may we pursue that with everything that we have, not to just be accepted, but because we have been accepted. So I thank you for grace. Thank you for your goodness to us. Father, help us to experience that, believe it with everything in us give our lives as an offering to you. Father, I also just pray for our, our, the, the men and the fathers in this room. I think of my own heart. I, I, I can easily tend to sit back and let Amanda take control in the home. Father, forgive me. Help me take my role and my responsibility seriously, and I pray that for each and every person that you bless with children someday or that you currently bless with children today. I pray that these men would lead well they would, that their kids would get to watch them follow you. To be, to, to, to be able to walk by and see their dad not just looking at their computer or their phone, but looking at your word, studying and applying to their lives. And let that be a, a generational thing of, of a parent who gets to see their children's children follow you. God, bless this church. Bring your blessing. We need it. We cannot do this on our own. We need your strength. And God, may we never be a people who are, look back over our life with so much regret, thinking, man, I've wasted all this time. God, may we take today and say, from this day forward, I'm going to live my life for you and for your glory. So God, help us. We need your grace and help to do all these things. We love you, God, and we ask this in your son's name. Amen.